Good morning. How's everybody? Y'all good? Everybody awake, alive? Good. Good, good, good. Hey, how are you? Don't color all your sheets at the first part, okay? I love those kitties on your dress. That's pretty. All right, so um, maybe dial me down a little bit. Is that coming in hot? There we go. In case I get fired up later, I need you to have me down. All right, so good morning. If you got a Bible or an app on your phone or whatever, open up or click to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. Uh, the last time that we were in this series called Christ-Centered, Glimpses of the Gospel in the Old Testament, uh, was two weeks ago. Uh, big thanks to Greg, uh, Pastor Greg, wherever he he's somewhere. Uh, thanks to him for filling in last week. But um, two weeks ago, we talked about how God had destroyed the earth with a flood because of the awfulness of sin, okay? And when some people, as we talked about, when some people think about the flood, their first instinct is to think that God must be bad because of the fact that he was willing to flood the earth. But that's thinking about the wrong thing. The focus should be is when we think about the flood and the awfulness of it, we should be reminded of how bad sin is, not how bad God is. God is good. Sin is what caused the flood. And so we saw that even though God chose by his grace, who appeared to be a pretty good dude in Noah to restart the world with, what we see is that humanity is still a mess. So from Genesis 3 to Noah, we see that the world got really bad. And then from Noah to Genesis 11, we see that the world just continues to spiral in a bad place. And so in Genesis 11, right before the story we're going to look at today, is the story of how sinful the human race can find themselves when they work together in their sinfulness. All right, Up to this point, we've seen sinful individuals. Genesis 11 is the culmination of just how goofy humanity can be when we work together. Amen? And if you've seen that to be true, like, you know, it's kind of like in a marriage, right? One person can be sinful, but if you work together, you can find yourself in a big mess, okay? And so uh, Genesis 11 is that. It's, it's, uh, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. If, you're, if you've been around church, you know the story. If you don't, I'll give you a quick rundown. They gathered together at a place called Babel, and there um, they chose, as the Bible says, they wanted to make a name for themselves, and so they were going to build this huge, impressive tower in honor of their own name instead of honoring God's name. And God didn't like it, as you can imagine. So he confuses them and makes the task impossible so that they are scattered throughout the earth, which was his original intent anyway. And it's this strange story, but it's a, it's a continuation of Noah's story and all the way back to the first sin of man. We are a mess. And there is still no answer for sin in the world. That's the point. All the way through Genesis 11, what we've seen is there is still no answer. If you remember, in Genesis, right before Genesis 4, what we see is that the world is in such a mess, and it's the sin on a large scope, and we get introduced to Noah. And then when we see the world get in a mess again, and Genesis 11 ends, and then in Genesis 12, we get introduced to a man named Abram. This is a man that God would later name Abraham. We'll talk about that later. But there is something special, or really nothing special, that we can see about Abram. We, we can honestly read his stole, whole story from beginning to end, and I promise you we're not going to do that today. And we'll see that he's not an incredibly good dude. Like, he makes a lot of bad decisions. He's not a good husband, not a good father, not a good follower of God. 
But just like Noah, God shows grace in his choosing, and he calls out to Abram to be obedient to him in some really cool ways. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the first three verses of the story of Abraham, and that's all we're going to do today. Okay? Uh, There's tons of other stories. Uh, Patrick referenced one of those awesome stories with uh, uh, him willing to sacrifice Isaac, that chosen son that we're going to read about here in a second. But none of that. We didn't have time. This could be a whole series in itself, all right? But we're going to do this. I'm going to read the first three verses. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come back and dive in. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. Isn't that interesting? What happened in Genesis 11? We had a group of people trying to make their own name great. What does Genesis 12 say? Or verse 2. I will make your name great. Trust in the Lord and stay humble. All right? You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we love you. We thank you that we can trust you. And God, uh, that we, um, God, we can't make a name for ourselves in this world. God, if we do, everything will crumble. Um, God, just like it did at the Tower of Babel. But God, if we'll listen to you and allow you to make our name great, our life uh, can look more like that of Abraham as you, uh, as you honored him, as you honored yourself. God, help us today to understand this message and uh, to understand the promise that you made to Abraham. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're familiar with this story, you're going to have a hard time today because your natural instinct is going to be, I already know, I already know, I already know, I already know. Uh, You ever watch Men in Black? They had that little flashy thing, and it erases your memory. If I couldn't find one, I looked on Amazon. They don't make them anymore. It must have went out in the 90s, but I try, because I want you to look at the story of Abraham with fresh eyes. I want you to be able to hear this story today just with fresh eyes. So let me, let me start with what's going on. Here is a seemingly random guy from a town called Ur. Literally, that's what it was called. And y'all think Ardmore is redneck. Ur is more redneck than that. And he's currently living in Haran, And he may or may not have even known who God was. That's an important distinction. There's no connection. We don't see that God was, Abraham was, like when we saw Noah, we saw that Noah loved the Lord. That was on the front end. Abram, we get nothing. God just comes to Abraham and speaks. Uh, It comes to Abram. I'm going to confuse his name a lot because it changes. So anyway. But Yahweh, who we talked about, and we talked about Genesis 1 and 2, the God of all creation speaks to Abram. That's intense. And what does he tell him to do? He says, leave where you are, leave your family, and head that way. Doesn't even really tell him. There's nothing in verses 1 through 3 where he says, I'm going to go here, here's my plan, here's where we're headed. He just says, go. Y'all, I don't know. That seems like a big ask. I can't even get my kids in the car without a detailed explanation of where we're going. Every time. Kids, let's go get in the car. Where are we going, Daddy? It doesn't matter. Get in the car. <laughs> that's why. Just listen to me. And that's, God doesn't do that, though. God just says, hey, let's, let's go get in the car. And Abraham says, cool, let's go. That's what's going on here. God doesn't just ask him, though. He lays out for him what's going to become later on part of a covenant, 
A covenant is just a fancy word for an unbreakable promise. And so that's the, what God is laying out here in verses 1 through 3. So this morning, I want to show you that there are three parts to God's covenant with Abraham. And uh, these three things become key themes through the rest of the Old Testament. And so this is why it's important for you to see this with fresh eyes, y'all. If you'll grasp these three things today, when you read the Old Testament, stuff's going to start popping off the page at you. Because you're going to understand that there's something bigger going on here. So, yeah, we're going to make some practical application to our lives, but I also want to help your Bible study today, okay? So three things. I'm going to go on and give them to you, all right? God promised good land. He promised a big family. And he promised a special international blessing. That's where we're going to go. So as we go through this, you're going to see the importance of each one. So starting with number one, God promised land. So after Abram leaves Haran, the Lord leads him to a place called Canaan. And so they're just passing through the land as nomads. They're not, um, this is not a land that, that they can go possess, right? There's, this is just a land that they're moving through. But God speaks to him there in verse 7. This is what he says. To your offspring, I will give this land. So the Lord commits to give the land of Canaan to the promised family of Abram. The problem is there were still folks living there, okay? Um, I, I drive, there's a house that Kelly and I love. love. We drive by it all the time. Kelly says, oh, I love that house. Oh, I love that house. What if we were to just show up and like break in and like just live there while they were gone one day? They're going to come home and call the police, Right? Because you can't just take ownership of something that's owned by someone else. And that's where Abram's at here. God says, this land is for your offspring. And Abram says, cool, what are we going to do about all these big dudes that live here now? But again, God doesn't give him an answer out there. This wasn't just a huge piece of land that was waiting to be picked up. The Canaanites, and we find out later that these are some pretty impressive guys that are living in the land. And this tension of... Is the land ours or is it not? Carries all throughout the Old Testament. They, they, they start gaining possession of the land and then they lose it and then they get, they get the whole land and then they're carried off by the Assyrians and Babylonians and then they come back to the land. The land, the, the promised land, okay, if you're familiar with that term, that's Canaan. That is such an important part throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And I'm going to hit you with a Bible trivia question. Bible trivia question, number one. What was the first piece of property in Canaan owned by Abraham's family? Anybody know? Hey, you're going to impress your friends, okay? In Genesis 23, Sarah, who is Abraham's wife, dies. And Abraham is still living in Canaan as a nomad. But he wants to bury her there. He doesn't have any He's not going all the way back to Ur and burying her in his hometown. He's going to bury her here. And someone offers, someone, Abram must have been a, a popular guy in the area because someone says, hey, I've got a tomb where I bury my family. Please, bury your sweet wife in my tomb. I mean, isn't that awesome? Like, I'm not giving you a burial plot that I've paid for and I own. But this person was willing to give Abraham that but Abraham instead says, no, I'll take that land and I'll pay full price. It was a, it was a place called Machpelah. And in there, it was just a field and it had a cave on it. 
And he pays 400 shekels of silver for that whole area and he buries his wife in that cave. Now, that piece of property becomes the only land owned by Abraham's family for generations in the promised land. It's not until they come out of bondage in Egypt, listen, 400 years later, that they own more than that field and that cave. As Joshua comes back and leads that conquering, if you're familiar with that story, the God of all creation, listen, God of all creation calls Abram to go to Canaan and then he shows all of it and he says, I'm going to give this to your descendants. And they have to wait 400 years. And in the meantime, all they have is a burial plot. (laughs) That was the down payment. That was the only down payment they had on the promise, right? It was a field with a cave on it. Yet Abram believed God. And the faith that he had, he passed down through the generations. The faith in God that one day this land would be ours. Even as they're in captivity in Egypt, serving as slaves, they still knew one day God's going to give us this land. 400 years of waiting. And the cave, during that 400 years, the cave at Machpelah had to be enough. What a challenge to us today. Man, we want everything right now, don't we? Y'all, there are kids in my student ministry who have, when I was in student ministry, that have graduated, gotten married, and built a house three times the size of my house that I started off in. And I'm just 33. I know some of y'all, y'all can tell some crazy stories about the first house y'all lived in. I know my in-laws, their toilet used to always freeze. They had to literally pour pour antifreeze in their toilet just to keep it from freezing during the winter. I mean, like, but we've got people that are in their early 20s that are building these massive houses, both driving new cars and just living it up. And we, The things that we used to wait for, the things we used to save and we look forward to, we are now owning and taking early in life. We don't like to wait. That's why Netflix and Hulu and YouTube TV and all these things exist. We can click, we watch whatever we want. When my kids see a commercial on, they cry. What is this, Daddy? That's a commercial. I've lived through those my whole life. They don't understand it. But listen, it can become just as difficult as it can be to wait on earthly things and commercials and all that. It can be difficult to wait on God. Let's just be honest. We know God's got a plan for your life, but to wait on it is tough. Will God fulfill the promises that he has made to us? Will he carry out his end of the deal? That's the question. With every funeral I've ever done, as I stood before my grandfather uh, in, in the casket, I looked and I knew one day that's me. One day I'm in the casket. And in that, every time I do a funeral, every time I'm around a funeral, I'm always reminded of my own mortality, right? One day I'm going to die. And will God fulfill his part of the promise? I know I'm a Christian. I know that God has saved me. I know all those things. But will God fulfill his part of the promise? Will he carry me forward? Will he bring me to a place of eternal rest in his presence? 
Well, just as God didn't leave God's people without a down payment, church, he hasn't left us without one as well. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.22 that God has put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. The Holy Spirit is in us as the down payment on the eternal promise that waits for those of us who are in Christ. Church, you can have confidence today. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have placed your full trust in Jesus as the only one who can save you, then the Bible says he's given, us, he's given you his spirit. And if he's given you his spirit, that is the down payment. It's the taste. It's the little, the tickle on your tongue of the, of the food that will one day come in the presence of God in its fullness. That's good stuff. If we weren't social distancing, y'all would be dancing around saying amen. Just kidding. All right. <coughs> so let's rewind. So yes, there is land. God promises land. God also promises family. God promises family. God told Abram in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. Now, let me give you some context. Abram is 75 at this time, 75 years old. He doesn't have any children. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. How would be my first question, right? Abram doesn't even have any children. How can God make a man, an old man, of 75 into a great nation if he, gets, if he can't even have kids? But it gets crazier than that. After God makes that promise in Genesis 12, he waits 10 years. And then, so Abram's 85-ish right now, and he comes to him again. Genesis 15, verse 5. You can flip there. It's just a couple pages. And it says that God takes Abram outside, and he says, look up at the stars. Look at the sky. Count the stars if you, if you even can. He says, your offspring will be that numerous. Now, it was crazy enough to say to a 75-year-old man that I'm going to make you into a great nation. Then he waits 10 years and says, look at the stars. That's how many I'm going to give you. And Abram goes, no. I'm, t- I'm waiting 10 years, man. Abraham. So what Abraham does is Abram begins to make plans. He, he's already making plans. He's like, okay, if, God, if God's got a plan for me, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my estate to this heir and maybe uh, it was one of his servants, one of his servant's sons. Maybe this, this is going to be the, the receiver of my estate and God is saying, no, you will have a child. But he's 85 and his wife is over 70. Women don't like to talk about their age, but Sarah's the only one that we get her like a, a good clear age on. So this probably isn't happening. There's no way that God that Abram is going to look up at the stars and believe God. Right? I wouldn't, honestly. I'd struggle with it. Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Get out of here. Abram believed God? Are you kidding me? Abram and Sarai was her name at the time. They're making plans. So, if okay, they've accepted it now. Okay, God's going to bring a child through me. All right, so how's that going to happen? Sarah says, well, it ain't happening through me. You're going to have to look elsewhere, big boy. And so they bring, she brings one of her servants to Abram, and she says, ah, have a child with her. 
And they think this is it. This is the, this is the way. This is the way I'm going to get to the stars. Right? I'm going to have a, a child with this servant girl. Maybe this is God's plan. So they have a kid and they name him Ishmael. And then God says, no, you big dummy. That's not what I meant. Just be patient. And so God waits 14 more years. Still no kid. But God comes in Genesis 17. Look at verse 4 with me. As for me, here is my covenant with you, Abram. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. All right. Just a quick little Hebrew lesson. Abram means my father is exalted or exalted father. If, it, if, if people read it as exalted father, that's pretty humorous because he's 99 years old and isn't a dad. Okay? So it was almost a, a humorous name for Abram to have. But God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of multitudes or father of many nations. So catch the humor in this. Like this is a funny story. This is, this is ironic. At 75, God says, I'll make you into a great nation with no S. Just one great nation I'm going to make you into. <laughs> then God waits 24 years and says, nah, you know what? I'm gonna, not just going to make you into one nation. I'm going to make you into many nations. This is irony at its best. It almost seems as if God's just poking him. You can't have kids. Oh, but one day you will. And just, you know, just joking with him or something. So, but then it happens. Sarah, God not only changed Abram's name, he changed Sarah. Sarah gets pregnant and they call the son's name Isaac which means laughter because at the end of the day if you got pregnant in your 80s you would laugh too or cry it was laugh or cry we couldn't figure. this is the son God had promised 25 years earlier this is the kid but he finally came what we see happen for the rest of the Old Testament is that this family line is always in jeopardy. Okay, The family line of Abraham is always in jeopardy. There's always some drama going on. There's a, there's a, a, a woman who can't get pregnant or a couple who can't have a baby. There are early deaths that seem to make you question whether the family is going to continue or not. And then there are times where the family would make a better candidate for Jerry Springer or Mary, Mari Povich than the actual Bible. But this is the family that God chose to bring through Abraham. And while he's waiting, we've already talked about it, he got antsy, right? At one point, he was willing to settle for something less than God had. He was willing to settle for a, the, the, the son of a servant, not even his own flesh and blood. And then later, he, he took matters into his own hands and tried to make it happen with a servant. But he finally waited on God. And it wasn't easy, but he waited and God came through on his part of the promise. Listen, church, when we're waiting on God, it can be tough. The first tendency for us is to settle and to think, okay, God doesn't want me to have 
whatever it is that God has promised. God, God isn't pro- one of the things that God promises us through Christ is an abundant life, a life abundant, abundantly more than we could ever imagine. That's what God's word says, and it can be easy for us to go, well, that's just not for me. I'm a Christian. I'm faithfully serving the Lord, but I'm just going to settle for something less than that. This isn't what God wants. God doesn't want me to be happy. He doesn't want me to be joyful. He doesn't want me to, that's something I'm just going to have to accept. And it can be easy to find ourselves there or it can be easy on the other side, just like Abram, to take things into our own hands and to try to make happiness for ourselves, to make joy on ourselves. It's why, uh, it's why some, some couples, when they start fighting, they think, well, we'll have kids. That'll make us happy. Oh, heavens to Betsy. No, it won't. If you hate each other before, good night. You'll really hate each other after you got kids. Or maybe it'll provide an 18-year-old, 18-year buffer, and then they'll move out and you realize how much you hate each other again. We try, we try to fix our problems. Or somebody who's single who tries to just force a relationship that's not good and winds up in divorce or whatever. The, like this, this is what we do. We try to fix the problem. But we've got to wait on God and work with him, not against him. Abraham waited 25 years for a son. And as I already said, his family would wait 400 years to possess the promised land. But that waiting was nothing in comparison to the wait of the third part of the promise. The third point number three is a special blessing. Genesis 12, verse 3. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The other two parts of the promise we see take the front seat through the Old Testament, right? The whole Old Testament is about land and it's about family. It's about geography and genealogy. That's what you see. This family line and do they possess the land. It's all about the promised land and the, the, the promised line, all right? That's what takes the front seat. But in the back, in the back is this promise from God that all the nations on earth will be blessed through this family. And God's people had to wait some 2,000 years to see this properly fulfilled. Revelation 7, 9 speaks of a worship service with people from every tribe, nation, people, and language that is innumerable. This occurs because the people there have all been redeemed by Jesus' blood. When God spoke this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, he no doubt intended that Abraham's family could live as a blessing to the nations around him, just as we can. However, God was ultimately pointing forward towards a climactic moment of redemption When Jesus Christ would lay his life down, not just for Abraham's family who were the Israelites, he would lay down his family for the nations, all the nations of the world. Paul writes in his letters in the New Testament that though we are not flesh and blood Abraham's kids, right? my DNA, I may not be an Israelite. I may not be. But we are his descendants through faith. That's why we can sing, Father Abraham had many sons. Y'all remember? Okay, anyway, if you grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, I'm weird. 
But today, if you've not trusted fully in the name of Jesus as your Savior, you can. Just as it was said of Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That can be said of you today. If you will turn from your sin, repent of your sin, believing that Jesus is the only one who can right the relationship that's been broken through sin, believe that Jesus was killed and raised up for you, God will give you a righteousness that you didn't earn, just like he did Abram. God will take your sin, because Jesus already died for it, and then he'll take the righteousness that Jesus lived through a perfect life and give it to you. It's the term imputed righteousness if you want to impress your friends for coffee this week. That's a pretty sweet trade. That's salvation. Today, if you'd like to talk with someone about salvation, uh, I would love to talk with you. We're going to sing a song here in a second. I'm going to be down front. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I would love to talk with you. We're going to have a male and female a decision counselor by the back door. Uh, we're going to have some, uh, they're going to be ready to talk with you and to help you. If you'd rather go backwards than come forwards, they would love to help you with this. Also, man, if you're having trouble waiting on God, <laughs> this altar will be open just for you to come and lay it on the Lord. If you're struggling with any doubts, any, any fears, any uncertainty in your life, like God wants you to find confidence today. And you may want to come lay that at God's feet. And as always, um, man, even, even in COVID-19 mess, we'd still love for you to be a part of this family. We may not can hug and kiss right now, but we'll save that for later. The kissing part, that was weird, sorry. But if you'd like to, Miss Jean was like, I didn't know I signed up for kissing. <laughs> a holy kiss, that's right. That's what, that's what we'll settle for. Uh, how about a, a blow you a kiss? There we go, all right. But anyway, if you'd like to join this church, you have questions about baptism or any, anything that we can help you with. But what I hope you see today is that God's promise, is this, God's promise will be fulfilled. Abraham had to wait 25 years for a son. They had to wait 400 years for the promised land and they had to wait 2,000 years to experience the special blessing of Jesus Christ when he was born. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you're struggling with in your life, but God is faithful and God will continue to make you more like Jesus. Let's pray. You respond after I pray as God leads. Father, we love you and we thank you, God, that you have called us, God, just as you did Abram, God, to follow you. God, we don't always know where that path's going to lead. But God, you ask us to follow you. And God, I'm thankful that even when times are bleak and even when we feel like maybe the promise isn't being fulfilled and God, we feel like we're doing our part, but maybe we, we feel like you're not. God, that in those moments, God, may we rest in the fact that you have placed your spirit within us to empower us, God, to get us through this life, to be obedient to you. But God, there is something so much greater coming. God, the spirit is but a down payment of the glory and beauty that you have awaiting us. Father, help us to find rest in that today. And God, if there's anybody here who's never trusted in you, God, I pray that they would receive that down payment today and begin to look forward to the full payment in your presence. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.